If you're gonna do it, do it live on stage, or don't do it at all! <laughs> I am going to be bringing you Clutch Earth Rocker Review in the Creature Feature. I'm very excited about this. I saw these guys live recently uh, with the release, on the release day of this new album, and I'm gonna bring it to you. I'm a big, uh, big fan. Fan of the Clutch. Good stuff. Music. Good. Good music. Oh yeah, welcome to Nine Cents. <laughs> Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is April 7th, and I do have a fantabulous, that's right, fantabulastic show for you this week. <laughs> First of all, I gotta tell you, there are, there are moments when recording this podcast where I find myself really really excited and typically oh wow my mic is really really loud why is it so loud let me adjust this for y'all um typically is because of some feedback i've received or uh, maybe just something I, I'm, I'm really excited to share with you in this case oh i got something i want to share with you oh for fuck's sake i want to share something with you but i can't i can't could hold off a little bit longer. This is sort of, I don't know, Sting's Kama Sutra of information. Like, we just hold out a little bit longer, and it will feel so good. Yeah, I just finished an amazing interview yesterday, and uh, I'm very, very, very thrilled to be bringing it to you. Uh, pretty doggone excited that it actually came to fruition. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of uh, really great information. And, and, it is coming Valpurgis Noct. Yes, it's good, yes. <laughs> yes, I have had a few, <laughs> if you are wondering. No, uh, seriously though, I, I just spoke um, with a fantastic individual. I'm going to be bringing it to you, but I do want it to be a bit of a surprise, though I'm sure... With your big, intelligent brains on your shoulders, you can figure it out, uh, as many of you did last year around this time when I was doing the same dance. <laughs> but yeah, man, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I edited it together, and I think, I think I've got something that's really, really great, and I think you're going to really, really dig it. So I'm, I'm pretty damn excited about it. And today I recorded another 
portion of the winemaking series for my homebrewing blog that I've been doing. And it took a long doggone time. I, I don't, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if any of you have ever tried winemaking from a kit where you actually are told what to do properly, but there's a phase where you have to, um, well, I'm going to say degas the wine. You have to agitate the wine so that it, it pulls all of the gas out of the liquid, and this aids in the clarification of the wine itself. The problem is that the colder the wine, the longer you have to agitate it. So I have this drill bit, essentially, with these little wings on the end of it, which just stirs the wine, you know, via drill. But still, half an hour in, and in my house is, is pretty chill, actually. Um, you know, we're kicking it at the liquid probably around 62 degrees. So it's, it's chilly. It's not cold. It's just chilly. 62 degrees liquid, which means I have to agitate it longer than if it were 75, for example. So the half an hour that I was agitating this liquid, I grew very agitated myself bored and uh, tired of doing it and I was hoping because this is my first kit batch of wine that I'm doing that it wouldn't take that long um, but it did and it I still didn't get it completely cleaned out so I'm, I might suffer some clarity issues with this batch of Pinot Noir but it'll be not only a learning experience um, but one thing I've learned when I'm brewing um, suggestions on what you should do don't really have the weight in which they're suggested me suggested meaning uh water for example if if you're a, a a brewer you've heard for sure that you know water is a huge huge factor in and coming together with some amazing beer and yes it's true to a point I mean, you could go out and, and do what I do, and that's get spring water that's filtered and, um, you know, ensure that it's, it's pristine and clear and not full of contaminants. Or you can just use tap water, which I've also done. And the difference in flavor is really academic. I mean, it's, it's so minimal that the average person drinking beer wouldn't, and if, if you didn't know the process that I went through, you'd have no idea whether I used spring water or tap water because, I mean, just the water in my area is actually really good. But like any civilization, they put additives in the water that normally you don't want contaminating your beer. And I'm using the word contaminate. I just mean, you know, in your beer as well. It, it affects the flavor. So, you know, using different types of water, it's not as big of a deal as people make it. Especially when you keep in mind that throughout the thousands of years, the tens of thousands of years that beer making has been happening, uh, the state of available water has been questionable. And yet you still end up with a consumable product that does its job. So yeah, I always, I always, you know, I, I make sure it's clean and I make sure it's sterile and I make sure I'm using the best ingredients and the best uh, quality of water. But really, it doesn't affect it that, you know, as much as we act like it does, you know, and, and maybe that's just a, a broader conversation about 
where we are as a society now and, and always trying to be a purist in everything, even if it doesn't really make a real difference. Uh, so I, I kind of, I, I suspect that this is the same thing with the winemaking of, of, of uh, agitating the wine to pull all of the gases out of it to end up with a clearer, more pristine product. Uh, when I, I have to be honest, I'm more concerned about the ultimate flavor. And, and if it's anything near, you know, a, a $15 bottle of wine, which is my average of what I'd spend, then, then I'll be happy. If it's worse than that, then, you know, obviously the next batch I'll be taking more care and concern. It was just something I wanted to comment on that idea that we as a, as a society, the further we develop, it seems like the more we try to push back on this uh, uh, purist way of doing things, even when, uh, one, it usually means more expensive, and two, it doesn't always mean better product. And so you always have to go into things with your eyes open and realize that, you know, there's hype associated with everything, and it's not always a positive hype. Uh, especially when it comes to you know, food and water and um, just that purist mentality. Um, all right. So anyway, the show. Yeah. Like I already mentioned in the creature feature clutch, I'm going to be bringing you a review, my review of, and one of their songs of earth rocker, the, their brand new album that just came out a couple weeks ago. And in the devil's advocate, you think I'm a witch. And this is actually a section of an article from the collection the Underworld Amusements put out, Letters from the Devil. And I'm going to give you one of their articles and just kind of talk about it. There's some broader context I wanted to address. And then the Infernal Informant, I've got two articles, as always, North Korea Facts on the Ground. And this is more of just a discussion about North Korea. And President Obama, Kamala Harris, and Rules of Complimenting Women. I'm looking forward to that one. All right, so I believe that that's going to do it for the... Oh, you know what? <clears throat> Before we dive into the show, let me just say, I'm going to be involved in... Um, well, there's there's a review of Nine Cents and uh, sort of a feature that's happening. So I did some photos uh, in, in the process of that. I don't know if you guys experience this too. I mean, there's... Typically, you have photogenic people and non-photogenic people. I fall on the non-photogenic side of things. And so I go through that, okay, coupled with not having the best of equipment uh, available at my fingertips, nor the most talented of people. So I did reach out to someone who I wanted to um, photograph me for this feature, and we just really couldn't, you know, schedules dependent here uh, align our time. So I ended up just doing what I always do and just manufacturing a set and manufacturing a, a photo shoot myself. And it, you know, it ended up okay. But one thing I noticed, it, I, I really hate the way I take photos, man. It's tough because you, well, first of all, I, I don't like looking and maybe you're the same way. I don't like looking at the camera. I, when I, when I look at someone, it's an intimate thing. I, I, I want to connect with them. You know, I, I want to, I want to share something with them. And so what you find a lot of times in photos of me, I 
tend not to look at the camera directly and sometimes just completely avert my gaze. Um, and that's just because of that, the intimacy of it, you know, the, the, the looking at each other and truly understanding what's behind those eyes. It's, it's something that's important, hopefully to everyone, but certainly to me. Um, and I don't want to just give it away in any damned photo, you know. So I took a whole bunch of photos and I, I put up a new one on my uh, social networking site of myself. Um, but yeah, I did notice that I cannot stand the way my head looks. <laughs> it's ridiculous, I know, but... Like, I cannot stand the way my head looks. I cannot stand the way... I just have... I have a really negative residual self-image of my... I'm fucking redundant saying of myself. Um, and, and I'm sure other people experience the same thing. It, it's, it's really tough for me to find a photo that I'm comfortable with. Even though... And, and here's sort of the weird part of it is I love being goofy and taking, you know, absurd photos. I never post them or rarely at best so it, it's weird i mean if i'm trying to be serious then it's all ridiculous and it's horrible looking and i cannot uh, stand the end product if i'm just being goofy then i don't mind but then i don't want to share the photos it's like this weird cycle of <laughs> photographic masturbation it's really weird <laughs> i can never end up with a product that i'm super happy with it's it sucks uh, I don't really know why I brought that up. Just saying that that's something that happened today where I was fighting through photo taking. And it's especially rough because I, I'm, I'm a graphic designer and so I, I do photo manipulation on a daily basis as a profession. Uh, so the mistakes that I, the technical mistakes of the taking of the photo as it were, I can correct and post, but because I'm the subject, I'm much more critical. And so I can't, I can't address them the way I would if it was someone else. It just, it, it compounds the issue of, of, of negativity while I'm editing the photo. So I just, I'm sitting on thousands of photos that I absolutely cannot stand of myself that I would love to be able to release, not because there's a particular audience, but just because you know, for family and, and whatever, you know, you'd like to share photos of yourself with those you care about and those you love. Can't do it. I just can't do it because I can't, I can't wrap my brain around the negative image that I have. You know, it's weird. It's one of those weird psychological issues that I'm sure tons of people have, but I myself am stricken with oh, from time to time. All right. I've got to remove my phone before it starts beeping. All right, well, you know, I've, I've ranted here enough. Maybe I should shut up and let's just dive into the devil's advocate. You are your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. <laughs> When he lies, he speaks out of his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate.
I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Alright, this is actually from a collection that Underworld Amusements has released. It's called Letters from the Devil, and it is an amazing compilation of uh, Anton LaVey's writings uh, in this The Exploiter, uh, I don't know, magazine or newspaper or whatever it was, but it was just an article that he wrote, and he addressed a lot of really fantastic topics in it. Um, this is one of them that I wanted to speak to. I'm going to read you the letter that the individual wrote to Anton LaVey, and then I'll sum up Anton LaVey's response and, and sort of elaborate on it in, in uh, my own personal experience here. Dear Dr. LaVey, I want to know what you think about my situation, and if you think I am a witch. It started one afternoon when my mom and my future stepfather and I were going to my mother's house. I felt real strange, like I could see over his head and like I was driving instead of him. I felt like I was him. After that, I was all sweaty, and I knew all about his past. After we got to his mother's, everybody was in the kitchen except me. I was in the front room, and I gazed at the dead man's picture, which was my future father's dad, who passed away four months ago. I didn't see him in the picture, but an evil devil. It was horrible. I started to sweat all over again, only this time I walked back and forth a few times, my whole body shaking, and made it to the chair. I tried to put my hands over my mouth, but I couldn't stop myself from screaming, and I started jumping, my hands shaking like an earthquake. I started crying. Finally, I settled down, and I never looked at that picture again. But until this day, I can still see that horrible person. A few days later, I started to learn things about my friends at school. One afternoon, my teacher was at the office with the student to order paper. Something told me that they were coming down the hall, so I dried the paint off my hands and went out, and sure enough, I bumped into them, and they were returning from the office. My father left me, and my mom, without one word or any clues to where he is. But I know where he is, and what his apartment looks like. And someday, I'll go to find him. Dwayne M. Zinnia, Ohio. <laughs> Anton LaVey immediately addresses this as you, the, the, the first two-thirds of your letter, paraphrasing here, were very telling, and it sounds like you have issues with your father leaving you. You should probably speak to someone. And I, I loved his response because it was hands down exactly what I or anyone would have picking up picked up from this this retarded letter that was sent in they and, and you run into this a lot a lot more than I would like to admit uh, actually it, it, people trying to convince you that they are somehow mystical or magical because of, of some anecdotal situation that occurred all the while completely ignoring just the chaos of chance it must all mean something so in in this case uh retrospectively 
he experienced something and it must mean that he's psychic and he knows where his father is and yet in this letter he has yet to reach out to him or address him but i i have to say that if your father leaves you then the first thing you want to do is reach out and ask why and if you really did know where he was why wouldn't you just address him instead of reaching out to a forum like <laughs> letters from the devil a little bit weird but it does speak to the reality of the situation is that these people that profess ability it's all manufacture and and here's here's something that i learned early on and and i'm i'm hoping you guys can uh, i hope you can understand what i'm saying here and uh if you are you don't have to profess to be so when I was in college, let me sort of pay that off, I had an instructor who, in my opinion, was actually really good. Uh, what he was horrible at was teaching. He always felt he had to justify his ability because we complained about um, either assignments or deadlines or anything like that. So he would always sort of give us his resume well, I've been doing this for X amount of time and I've worked with X people and you should respect me because I've done X. And if you have to say that, then we shouldn't respect you. Because if you are a confident human being, you don't ever have to say that you are. Because it's obvious, it's immediately picked up on. If you're an intelligent human being, if you can articulate your position. You don't ever have to convince people of it because they can sense it. As, as a species, we can innately recognize truth and lies. Whether or not we decide to make that conscious judgment is another thing entirely, but we are capable, or whether or not we're able to on a conscious level, uh, but it's something that we can read, uh, certainly as, as individuals. And you can just tell whenever you run across these people. Tell me if I'm a witch because I had this amazing situation that it actually can never be proven because it was all personal experience. And it's always, you know, if they're telling you about it, it has to be. But coincidentally, it's always after the fact. And, and there's always this um, amount of, uh, you know, hindsight is 2020 absolute knowledge of the situation. And you can never never take that as truth because it is all sort of confirmed it's all doubled down by their own experience after the fact you convince yourself of situations uh, another example i went up to see my father's family who passed away um, my father passed away and i went to see his family when i was in the military i was stationed in kentucky at the time and I called up, uh, finally got a hold of my aunt and reached out to the family and they agreed to meet me. So I drove up there and we had an interesting, interesting get together and it connected me with a part of my family that I'd never known, which was nice. But one thing I learned once I got there, um, it was, it was filled with, uh, stories like this, you know, Suddenly, I was just driving down the road, and your father's favorite song came on, and I just knew he was with me. And then suddenly, we heard about your phone call and that you were coming up here. It, it was like he was 
He was reaching out through the radio to tell us that his son was on his way, and it was so wonderful, and God was looking out for us. These are the type of stories that they told me. Never acknowledging that it was my father's favorite song because it was popular at the time and he liked country music and you're listening to country music and the chances of a popular country music song coming on the radio at any given moment is ridiculously common and <laughs> it will happen so that doesn't mean that there's some mystical world out there or the residual energy of my father in some spiritual afterlife reaching out to you saying my son is coming it just means that a DJ played a popular song. Literally. <laughs> but th that didn't matter to them. They didn't even connect that at all. It was never even an option. It's always this mystical, spiritual, someone reaching beyond the grave, or, or someone's super psychic ability, or I am a witch in this letter's <laughs> case. And it's always bullshit. Look, I'm not saying that there aren't witches and there aren't uh, warlocks. <laughs> I know for a fact that there are, but I've never known one that truly is such that has to say it. It's something that you know automatically because of their accomplishment, because of what they have done in your eyes, not in their own. And, and that's sort of the payoff to this entire discussion or, or rant, whatever you want to call it. It's that if you experience what someone else has done, that's some, that's some validation there. But if someone has to convince you or has to share something of worth that they've done that cannot be proven, cannot be experienced, it's probably not fucking true. <laughs> I mean, that's just the bottom line. Uh, and there's a bit of uh, pretension involved in that. You know, pretentiousness. I mean, I'm so magical because I did this and it was wonderful. You should have been there. Shut the fuck up. Like, if it was worth something, then, uh, you know what? Awesome. That's great. You had a moment. But it should be your moment. And you should cherish it as that. Don't try to convince other people of things that you've done are of worth because that kind of proves that they're not. <laughs> it would be seen if it was. Uh, all right, so that's that's enough for that. Let's go ahead and dive into the Inferno Informant. Psst. Hey, hey. Hey, come here. Psst. What? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Hey, you're religious, man, aren't you? No more than anyone else. Listen. Listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I gotta share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. North Korea. Facts on the ground. And this is from National Geographic. Here are some of the things we know about this notoriously secretive country. This is by Tom O'Neill, posted on the 6th of April. I, and, and actually, before I read this, I wanted to touch on this because 
I was sitting in my office at work earlier this week, and like many of you, I was listening to the news. In my case, I listened to NPR, and they were talking about uh, North Korea because of some of the statements that they'd made. And I thought it was interesting. Fair amount of panic involved in the news earlier this week because of those statements. But there's never been any payoff from it, specifically with North Korea. It's all talk. It's sort of a bark, no bite situation. And so I wanted to uh, address this article and maybe speak a little bit uh, about my own experience, not directly with North Korea, but with men who served uh, in the Korean War and stuff. So much about North Korea is unknown. The progress of its nuclear weapons industry, the hierarchy of its power elite, the range of its missiles, the extent of its industry hidden underground, and now the world is wondering if ruler Kim Jong-un will follow through on the fireballs of threats and ultimatums he issued this week after the UN imposed new sanctions. Following are a few of the things we do know about a country that seems to have retreated into a very dark corner. Geography. 80% of North Korea is covered by mountains and uplands. When drought or heavy rains hit, the limited amount of agricultural land is stressed, contributing to regular food shortages. Life expectancy. North Koreans live an average of 69 years, 11 years less than South Koreans. The greatest health threat is hunger. In the mid-1990s, a famine killed some 2.5 million people, or roughly 1 in 10 citizens. According to a recent UN report, two-thirds of the population do not know where their next meal will come from. Border Controls The 148-mile-long border between North and South Korea is the most heavily militarized in the world. It is estimated that at least a million of the 25 million North Koreans are in uniform, many of them bullying and spying on their own citizenry. Entering and exiting. Soldiers have orders to shoot anyone trying to sneak in or out of the country. China is the most widely used escape route. Approximately 80% of the North Korean refugees attempting to flee through China are women. Gulag. An estimated 200,000 people in North Korea are held in secret camps for political prisoners. Uh, that's weird. For political prisoners. That's weird. Holidays. April 15th. The birthday of the country's late founder, Kim II Sung, is considered the most auspicious day in North Korea. Officially declared as the Day of the Sun. Celebrations take place throughout the country, including events such as large-scale synchronized dancing. In 2012, the uh, centenary celebrations of his birth cost an estimated $2 billion. Fake money. North Korea has been accused by the U.S. government of running one of the most sophisticated counterfeit operations in the world. They're rumored to have bought an intaglio press at the cost of over $7 million, uh, the same kind of printer the U.S. government uses to print its money. The counterfeiting operations reportedly specialize in Franklin's, or $100 bills. Fashion. 
Wearing jeans is a crime. <laughs> De Denim symbolizes the enemy. United States. Tourism. Several thousand tourists a year visit North Korea, though, uh, I'm sorry, through state-sanctioned state groups operating out of Beijing. South Koreans are not allowed in. And casual conversations between locals and tourists is not allowed. It's against the law for North Koreans to talk to foreigners without permission. Talk about a free society. Okay, so this is this is the frame that we're working in. Whenever we hear news that um, Kim Jong-un wants to uh, strike us with nuclear weapons, they can't even feed their own population. I mean, that speaks volumes. And like I was just saying in The Devil's Advocate, if you have to convince others, in this case, North Korea is trying to convince the rest of the world that they are indeed a threat by making threats. If you have to convince us through uh, declarations, then you're really not a threat. And, and, and they have an entire population that is in pure military police state. They can't even talk to tourists without approval from the state. There is nothing to fear from this sad, pathetic country. They, and, and this is actually from our intelligence, don't even have a weapon that's capable of reaching our shores. On its own! Not to mention our own military uh, defense systems uh, that are actually uh, floating in the waters uh, around the region. Um, protecting us on the off chance that they did, in fact, have the genius to assemble one that could reach our shores. More concerns come from their assault of South Korea, or uh, the reignition of the Korean conflict, the Korean War. Um, but really, analysts are saying that even if they did shoot nukes into South Korea, they couldn't withstand a full-blown assault, even if it was just South Korea assaulting them. Now, we, we have to keep in mind that South Korea has had the benefit of U.S. military training and support since the Korean conflict. Um, and it is a normal one-year tour of duty for soldiers to get stationed in South Korea. If for some crazy reason, this sad, pathetic regime thought it was a good idea to assault South Korea, or worse yet, America or one of our allies, it, it, it would be an embarrassing fiasco. We would, and, and I'm not saying this because I'm an American and I think we're big and strong, but just militaristically, statistically, we would demolish them. They don't have the technology, and we wouldn't even have to have a foot on the ground. <laughs> With the expansion of our drone program, it would be an embarrassing scenario. And yes, it would cost us some uh, money, and it would probably cost us some political um, money as well. <laughs> you know, just uh, political face for bombing them 
from a distance. Uh, but it, whenever you're dealing with, and this actually echoes in human experience, one-on-one -on -one human experience as well. Whenever you're dealing with someone that just barks and barks and barks, I actually had a friend like this. He um, proclaimed to study Aikido all the time. He was smaller than me. And I know size doesn't really mean anything if it comes to direct conflict. But he was smaller than me. And he always... And I'm really kind of a standoffish type of individual. If, if you want to be all rough and rowdy in front of me, that's fine. But I, I have a low tolerance when... And this may be the American inside of me. I have a low tolerance as soon as you touch me. Because I don't, I don't like to play fight. If you're going to touch me, then it's either uh, love or war type. <laughs> you know, that's how I see it. Um, and this little guy, he, he was supposed to, you know, he professed to being this badass. And this was in the 90s. And so he was, you know, OG, original gangster. He thought he was tough. And yeah, he smacked me in the cheek. And it was immediate reaction, as would be anyone's. You hit them back. And he crumpled. And I felt bad, but I knew that if I didn't hit him, then he would continue bothering me in this way that he's been doing it. And I let him do it because it made him feel good and it made him feel powerful up until the point that he touched me. This is a parallel in what's happening with Korea. The difference is Korea knows that if they touch America, then they will be hit back and they will be crushed. It is a reality that we have to be able to face know your own limitations and this transcends individualism into nationalism and if you are a country that can't even feed your own people maybe it's not the best idea to be uh you know stepping up to the biggest baddest dude in town in this case the united states i mean it's just a fact so there's no reason to be worried about a north korea um, North Korea, a North Korea assault on America. And realistically, there's no real threat to South Korea either. Because, like I said, South Korea could completely demolish North Korea if it ever came to a ground warfare assault. The reason why North Korea does this is the reason why they've always done this. And I was told this when I was, um, oh, I must have been like five and six when I was first introduced to this. Um, I was, during the time I was actually a Cub Scout, actually, um, a veteran from the Korean War was our scout leader at the time, and god damn, this was a long time ago, I haven't thought about this in quite some time, but, uh, he was talking about patriotism, and he, you know, talking about Korea and, and how they, um, they will always use threats in order to gain diplomatic benefits like uh, for example um, we're going to threaten that we will destroy X town unless you lift sanctions or you give us money and so the world says okay well we don't want you attacking this town in this other country so we will give you the the aid that you need to feed your populace or we will lift sanctions so you can continue your trading to, to help you know benefit your people and, and this is sort of a cycle that North Korea has always gone through. Whenever they need help or whenever they need aid, they start making threats again. And then the world stage sort of bows to them and they understand that, okay, well, this, 
this sad, pathetic person in the corner is just crying out, and they're not really threatening us, they're just asking us for help in their own retarded way, and that we would help them. What I love is that <laughs> Obama administration is saying, no, I don't think so. We are not going to help you anymore. You are a sad, pathetic bully that has never actually successfully bullied anyone, and we are going to put a stop to this. And, <laughs> and so, you know, we're running these... Uh, unprecedented stealth bomber missions uh, with training missions with South Korea and we're uh, fortifying our our naval ships in 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 uh, the region <laughs> and it's scaring the shit out of North Korea and what's amazing is that even if Kim Jong Un actually has a, a intelligent bone in his body his whole administration are throwbacks from an age of Cold War threats. So what could he really do? You know, this is a child that's supposed to be running this country. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know shit from shit. So he's relying on his his, his uh, military support to tell him what's right and wrong and what to do and what not to do. And they're just following the same playbook that they've always followed. Uh, in this case, I gotta say, it's gotta suck to be a, a North Korean citizen. I mean, absolutely. And I guess whenever you hear about um, the right spouting off uh, communism and how negative and bad it is, uh, you can kind of see that, you know, where if we did have a totalitarian regime, you know, this is the perfect example of one gone bad. And so there there is a fair amount of fear involved in handing up too much liberty, uh, you know, you know, trading in liberty for safety um, is, is what I'm meaning here to to a government that wants to take care of its citizens this is a case where the government is supposed to be taking care of its citizens but then taking everything from them in return and so you know you can sort of see why there's such a, a fanatic reaction to any liberties or rights that are um, perceived as being taken away uh, or suggested to be taken interesting stuff all right let's go ahead and move on to the next article here I'm ranting about that for quite some time. Sorry about that. And this is actually the Washington Times, President Obama, Kamala Harris, and Rules of Complimenting Women. And this was posted, let's see here, on the 7th by Jack Inglehard, New York. President Obama last week angered many with his comments about California Attorney General Kamala Harris. Even Michelle Obama seems to have retaliated for the presidential praise of the California Attorney General. Probably just coincidence or Freudian slip, but in an interview with CBS affiliate WCAX last Thursday, First Lady Michelle Obama plum forgot she was married. She said, believe me, as a busy single mother, or I shouldn't say single, as a busy mother, okay, she quickly corrected herself. But what's his name still has some explaining to do. <laughs> These days, it seems all we're doing is explaining and apologizing. Ever since Gloria Steinem declared that women need men as much as a fish needs a bicycle, men have been properly put in our place and keep trying to make amends for 20 million years of sexism. Do the math. Women's lib only began a few decades ago. Please... Give us a chance to learn the rules. Give us a minute to catch our breath. The rules do keep changing. We can't keep up, as is evidenced by two hot commentaries along these pages, one for Obama's sexist remark, the other 
against. It is folly for anyone to try to sort it out for the betterment of mankind. Oops. But here is the reminder anyway. A while back, we were summoned to be a gallant uh, and chivalrous. We were taught, most of us were, that girls and women were to be given flowers for their beauty of character and good looks. Exactly what is wrong with this? But one morning, we were told that that is okay, even required, to tell a woman that she looks marvelous. Next morning, hey, we can go to jail for this. Yesterday's compliment is today's complaint. We mean praise, but get clobbered for making you feel uncomfortable. We are finding this tough to follow. If our culture has become so neutered, Soon, we may be forbidden from watching guys and dolls. Forget South Park, Pacific, and, and that roaring number of gratitude, there ain't nothing like a dame. Granted, some men should be fixed, racetrack term for castration, but the normal American Joe is simply doing what comes naturally. Dare we say, the following in his climate of political correctness, boys like girls. Sometimes, and this does come as a shock, girls like boys. That is how we make American babies. Love happens. Sex happens. Why the attraction? Don't ask me. They're going to say ask God, but I'm not. Someone suggested that women would be safer from sexist remarks if they dressed like men. Do we want all of our women to resemble Alan Combs and Rush Limbaugh? Really? Strangely, the conversation appears to include everybody except for the injured party who does not seem to be injured at all, as scores of letters to the editor denounce Obama or denounce the denouncers. Miss Harris said word one about being upset, only that she strongly supports the president. What did he say? In addition to praising her character and achievements, she also happens to be by far the best-looking attorney general in the country. It's true. Come on. Not so sure about that, Mr. President. Around this neighborhood, we've got Pennsylvania Attorney General Kathleen Kane. She's dedicated and brilliant and... and good-looking. As good-looking as Kamala Harris. It's true. Come on. I love this article because it does speak to something that I have witnessed in my lifetime. I was raised uh, in what I consider to be a traditional way. You open the car door for a woman. You compliment her on her looks. You act like, shocking word here, a gentleman. You act like a gentleman. And you do reach out, go out of your way to make a woman comfortable in any situation. You want to protect them, and this is actually a very offensive thing to some women. You want to protect them from other people that you know are not the same level of uh, manliness or gentlemanliness as you. You want to ensure that they experience, while you're around, the best experience that they can have. I mean, I realize that there are some fundamentalist religions out there that take it to the extreme. But just that alone, 
complimenting a woman, bringing her flowers, paying for her meal if you're on a date. Is that a bad thing? And it was in my lifetime that we started to be told that we couldn't do that, that you have to be equal in all things. And so there's this weird sort of, it's like there's a double dutch game on a street and you don't know when to jump in. You're sort of swaying back and forth ready to, to jump in. Should I be a gentleman? Should I not be a gentleman? You don't know which foot to stand on. So you want, and then there's a bunch of Hollywood movies that were made about this as well. Um, and it's always a sort of pathetic joke in, in a lot of uh, sitcoms and such where you're sort of given this situation, well, I, should I pay for her meal? Should I just assume I'm going to be paying for the meal? And then if I don't, is she going to resent me for, for asking her to pay for her side, like on some cheapskate? As a man, you cannot win because the rules are ever-changing and they're all situational, uh, individually dependent. So what does it mean for us men when all we want to do is give a good compliment? And in this case, Obama just reaching out and giving a good compliment to an attorney general. Now, you can argue he's a married man and he shouldn't be giving out a good compliment to other women. But, as a married man myself, I call bullshit. No matter who you are in this world, you can be a, a wretched individual. There is something beautiful that can be found in you. Um, and as far as it comes to women... I've always been taught by my sisters, all older than me, three of them, to look for the beauty in a woman. I mean, that's how I was raised, and so I cannot deny it. I see women that I am not sexually attracted to, but I find beauty in elements. And I feel compelled to share that when I see it. So I may not want to have sex with you. If I tell you that I think your hair looks beautiful today, or if your eyes are, are a particularly attractive color, or uh, if your dress fits you well, I don't necessarily want to have sex with you. I'm just doing what I was taught was right. And that's making you feel better because of a beauty that I've witnessed. And if you can't take that at face value, if you think it means something more than it does, that's your problem. That is not mine. <laughs> it, it's funny. Um, uh, we, we have this idea of attraction and signals, sexual signals that, that can be read, body language. It's pretty obvious. And when when you're really connecting with someone and you want to take it to that next level of, of uh, intimacy and sex, a compliment is not the end all to that. Uh, some people on my uh, in my office, uh, a, a writer and a, a sort of uh, project manager were talking, and and the writer was actually in a library where she saw a man looking at her. The man smiled, and on his way out, he dropped a note on the desk in front of her, and he went on his way. She noticed that there was a ring on his hand, and she opened the letter, and it said, You have a beautiful smile. That was it. It just said, You have a beautiful smile. No phone number. No nothing. No address. No email address. You have a beautiful smile. 
The first thing that cropped through her head as she was talking to this project manager. What a creep. What a disgusting creep. He has a ring on his finger. The man just gave you a compliment. He wasn't trying to fuck you. He wasn't trying to get you to blow him. He, he saw that you had a beautiful smile. He wrote it on a note. And I have to make a stretch of my imagination, because there was no follow-up contact, that it was solely so that he could share the beauty that he witnessed with you and that you would, in return, appreciate it for its face value. A compliment. But she actually thought he was a creep because he was married and he was giving a compliment to someone else. And that's what everyone that's making a big deal out of Obama's mention of a beauty and an attorney general is doing as well. Yeah, he's a married man, but does that mean he can't recognize beauty when he sees it? Can we not look at a painting and, and make a, a blanket statement about its beauty? Can we not look... Uh, can, can we not listen to music and make a comment about the beauty of, of, of the, uh, a symphony or, or a particular score? Can we not look at a man or a woman, recognize beauty and comment on it? Is that the world that we're living in or that we're trying to live in? Because I can't disagree with that notion anymore than I am right now. It's disgusting. A compliment is just a compliment, ladies. And I know some of you are really defensive about this issue. But you are wrong. A hundred percent. If a man drops a note saying you have a nice smile, that's all it means. That's it. Take it and feel good about yourself, because the majority of people see what an ugly human being you actually are, and know that inside you are saying, what a creep. That is not attractive, and that is ugly. Should we compliment, or I'm sorry, should we comment on that instead? Should we write on the note instead that I was going to say you had a beautiful smile until I saw that twist in your mouth and realized that you're really just a bitch? Because that's what the majority of this feminist propaganda comes off as. It takes what would be powerful women. Women that you should want to be around and want to have in your lives and puts them at arm's length and that's as close as you want to get because they are ugly in every other way. Is that what feminists want? To be seen as ugly creatures? And I'm sure they're, they're going to claim that they don't care, as long as they have equality. But we're not trying to deny equality. We just want to say that you're beautiful if we find you beautiful. Take that and accept it. Or you're going to find yourself alone and bitter. And it's going to be your own damn fault. All right, that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. Thanks for sitting through it, guys. Uh, you know, let's rock out with a little bit of clutch, and I'll give you a little bit of commentary. It'll be brief, and I hope you guys like it. See you uh, just after a break.
If you like big band, swing, and jazz, then join me, David Ingram, and my zombie goldfish co-host, Igor, oh, hello. on Lambert's Basement every week, where we time travel via nostalgia, taking you to a golden age of music. Only available on RadioFreeSatan.com. I used to flip through one television station after another, disgusted by what was supposed to pass for comedy. Seeing all of those terrible, predictable comedians made me sad, and it made me shake in my seat. I thought it was the early signs of restless leg syndrome combined with clinical depression. So I went to see my doctor. It turned out that I just needed to listen to better comedy. That's when my doctor recommended The Devil's Mischief on Radio Free Satan. The Devil's Mischief is a one-hour dosage of comedy and novelty that's made for you, not for the masses. After a decade of biased research, The Devil's Mischief has been clinically proven to be effective at inducing laughter and whimsical feelings in many listeners. I can finally laugh again. You don't need a prescription to listen to The Devil's Mischief. You don't even need to visit a pharmacy. That's because The Devil's Mischief is not a pill. It's not a syrup. It's not a spray, a cream, or even a suppository. It's a podcast. All I need is a connection to the internet. To learn all you need to know to listen to The Devil's Mischief, visit the official website, devilsmischief.com. Whether you like to listen to podcasts in your web browser, download an episode directly, or subscribe to podcasts with iTunes, The Devil's Mischief can help. Side effects may include side splitting, gut busting, knee slaps, and slapstick. Some listeners have reported being in stitches with gags or finding it to be a riot. Do not listen to The Devil's Mischief while drinking a beverage. Ask your doctor if The Devil's Mischief is right for you. Or don't. Why should you have to pay that stupid copay for a doctor's visit? Listen to The Devil's Mischief on RadioFreeSatan.com What's this show called? What do you mean, what is it called? You know, what's the name of the show? What, like the title? What's the title of the show? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the title of the show? Look, it should be good enough for you and for any of you other Generation Yers or Xers or Wers or Zers or or whatever fancy letter you're sitting on today to, to realize that it's not about what the title is. It's not about... When I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly on uh, Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you know? Do you have any idea that what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? Every single Saturday, and we didn't know what shows were, what what titles were, or or what. We, we had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature, and so are you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from their same titled 2013 release. Clutch with Earth Rocker. Sorry, I don't know none. 
goddamn song all right i was first introduced to clutch oh geez it had to be in i'm going back here i was living in midvale and an old friend of mine since eighth grade i always relied on him for showing me new music he introduced me to caius he introduced me to clutch propane uh screw uh, crowbar helmet really amazing music uh, he's the one that showed me, so it had to be, blah, I don't know, like 95-ish. Uh, anyway, it was their self-titled album and the Transnational Speedway albums that uh, I was first introduced to. And, and this this band is amazing. It, it's hard-hitting, heavy Deep, melodic music that makes you want to get up and move. Uh, I mean, if you're a fan of the mosh pit, this is fantastic music for it. But, like me, if you are a... I should have said like you are first. <laughs> like you are, like me. <laughs> that doesn't make sense at all either. If you are, like me, someone who likes to have a few drinks and sit in a dark room and just listen to some kick-ass tunage... This band will absolutely do it for you. Now, I went and saw these guys live on the debut of this album, uh, Downtown Salt Lake City, with my nephew, who I was very, very uh, excited to see it with. He's much more of a sort of uh, thrasher-type musical fan, um, modern-day versions of Slayer-type stuff. Where it's, and I know there's going to be a lot of people who are like, that's not thrasher music. Well, shut up. Uh, (laughs) Point stands, he's not into the same type of music as I am. Though he does enjoy getting in the mosh pit. We went and we saw them and it was, the type of crowd that comes to a clutch concert is older. They like to party, but they like to enjoy the music more than they like to go around and just bash their heads together or stomp their feet. Uh, so it was a different vibe than he was used to, but for me, man, and for everyone else that was there, we were all standing in the pit, and, and yes, there were a few mosh pits that were just jumping up and down to some of their older songs that were more, uh, heavy and hardcore, but for this specific album, Earth Rocker, whenever they played one of the songs, it was just, it was dancing and movement. I mean, there was this couple that came bursting through the crowd next to me, just, completely digging the tunes and moving to the beat and it was 
It was inspiring. It was exciting. I immediately wished my wife was here there with me. Uh, I just went with my nephew and we, I mean, I danced for like an hour and a half straight during this entire set uh, of, of this band. It was amazing. Really kick-ass music. And when I first actually listened to this album, and, and this really speaks to the complexity of Clutch, I was used to their, really their earlier music, which I actually still cherish deeply, um, which is much harder. I mean, it's fight music. It, it's the stuff if I wanted to go kick someone in the face, I would listen to before I did it. That's the type of music this is. So that's what I was expecting. And I really dug their Pure Rock Fury, and before that, I really dug uh, the Elephant Riders albums. And so I was a little taken aback. Now, I, I really enjoyed some of the flares that this album had, but I didn't really connect with it until I saw them performing the tracks live. And just in that song where he was all, I'm an Earth Rocker! The, the semantics that he uses on stage really bring this music out. And so when I hear it now, and I've listened to this album maybe 25, 30 times since I purchased it, uh, since the day it was released, I've grown to absolutely obsess over and love the lyrics and the band I've, I've a deeper appreciation for. It doesn't always, it's not an album like the Moody Blues would put out where it's, you know, one track sort of tells a story into the other and it's this big theme or anything like that. But Clutch has a way of, of just getting you into an emotional position, whether you want to be in it or not, and just having fun. And in a, in a time when I find it hard to connect with any music, it is amazing that I can find a connection with a band that's been around since I was a kid and still kicking ass putting out truly quality tunage. So I would say to you, get your asses out there and listen to the album. And you can preview the majority of it either on their website or on iTunes. Give them a chance. Clutch will knock your... It'll knock you on your ass. I was going to say knock your socks off, but that's a little weird. It will knock you on your ass. And if you need some music that just forces you to be in a better mood, I would say that... Earth Rocker by Clutch 2013 release is the precise album to do it. It is emotional, it is powerful, and that is perfect. So, check it out, Clutch. Alright, and that's going to do it for another show. That's right. Another, well, I, I, just a little bit over a allotted time limit here. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan. <laughs>